Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm your faithful host, music journalist Thomas Mooney. For episode 173, I'm joined by West Virginia's John R. Miller. If you haven't heard of John, you're in store for a real treat with this one. Hell, even if you have, it still applies. Yesterday, John announced that his upcoming album, Depreciated, will be coming out July 16th. I just really love the title of that record, Depreciated. In conjunction, he released a new tune found on the album as well called Shenandoah Shakedown. It's a rich, vivid, dark, and haunting Appalachia epic. And really, that's how much of Depreciated plays out. It's rich and vivid storytelling that draws back to this dark and haunted, but beautiful and complex part of our country. It's rich and vivid instrumentation, that sonic palette, it just really glows this dark, organic green with moonlight fiddle, a touch of pedal steel, and some funk grooves that kick in when necessary. Also, Shenandoah's Shakedown, it isn't the only song from Depreciated that's currently out. Back in March and April, John released Looking Over My Shoulder and Faustina. I'd highly encourage y'all to go check those out as well. And hopefully they will hold you over until mid-July when the album is fully released. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Sultal. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Sotol is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Sotol is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus there's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim wrangler button-up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, be sure to hit that subscribe button. New Slang is available on a bevy of podcast places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and so on. And of course, one of those five-star reviews goes a long way. So take two seconds out of your day and leave a five-star review. While you're at it, make a pit stop on over at the merch store. That is newslangpodcast.bigcartel.com. 
Over there, we have plenty of t-shirts, coffee mugs, shot glasses, stickers, and so on. And if you're wanting even more new slang stuff, a great way to support this podcast, my 90s country podcast called The Neon Eon, and journalism in general is by signing up for the Patreon. You can sign up for monthly merch packages, ad-free episodes, or be part of our postcard club for as little as three bucks a month. And yeah, I just mentioned the Neon Eon. That is my 90s country podcast. It's interviews and conversations with and about songwriters, songs, artists, and albums, and trends of the era, which last week we had BJ Barham of American Aquarium on to talk about their surprise 90s country homage album, Slappers, Bangers, and Certified Twingers, Volume 1. Again, that's the Neon Eon. And the Neon Eon has a merch store as well. It's been ridiculously busy as of late. That's theneoneon.bigcartel.com. We're starting to run low on some of the shirts and koozies, so head on over there and place an order ASAP. And like new slang, the Neon Eon is available everywhere podcasts are shared. All the links that I just mentioned, they will be in the show notes, which I think that's about it on the notes portion of the episode. Let's get on into it. Here is John R. Miller. start off with is that obviously you have this new record coming out this summer Mm -hmm. and you know um i guess what i've been talking with a lot of folks about how that's been affected by this past year and you know if, if plans were put off or changed or if this gap year if you will actually you know helped in the the recording process because it gave you time to actually record what what's been the case with with you and the the new album? Well, funnily enough, this one we actually um, we recorded last uh, January January of 2020. So we actually had it all kind of tracked and and ready to go, like just before everything kind of shut down. And um, we uh, yeah we were we were kind of kind of wondering you know. What, like everybody else kind of wondering what we were going to do with it or if we were going to do anything with it or if it was just this was just you know it so uh you know we kind of kind of sat on it and um ended up uh you know talking to talking to some some of the folks over at rounder and um turned out they had some interest in putting the record out so i think uh for the uh you know, for, for, for this record, um, you know, we ended up sitting on it for a long time before it's, it's, I guess it's coming out in July. So, uh, for, for this one, it may have actually sort of, you know, been to our benefit to just have something, you know, kind of in the bag. Um, and, uh, you know, that has also allowed me to, sort of focus on getting back to writing and doing some other stuff in this time too. So just sort of the way it worked out. Yeah. It, it feels like that's such a, a double-edged sword as far as, you know, having something in the bag like that, something ready to go. Cause it, you know, I, I like, you know, musicians and, you know, artists, as far as having stuff like that, sometimes it's like just burning a hole in the pocket. Yeah. Or you feel, it feels like it can get 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 spoiled, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I feel like for 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 me, everything sort of has has like a, a sell by date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 
but uh, I, I think everybody probably feels that way. Everybody kind of gets 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 a little, you know, tired of hearing their own stuff after a while. So. Yeah, well, it, it's that whole thing where, you know, you've you even like in just like the if we if we cut out if you just act, or not even cut out let's just like if you add all the hours and the time spent with these songs you know at the end of the day that's like shit man i've listened to this way more than anyone else could ever imagine and you know by the time it's even released you know or even announced you've been around these songs forever and you know that's that's where all the I, i'm kind of already i'm not over them but i'm like over just having them sitting here, you know, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. You know, that's, yeah, sure. That's, I feel like that's just, you know, that, that I guess like that's necessary for artistry because you're always kind of, you know, needing to move on and, and find that next thing that, that moves you to, to put to paper or to, you know, paint or whatever the case is. But, you know, um, the, 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 I guess this past year has just been really difficult for, for that whole thing, the the limbo in limbo because it wasn't ever like a. Um, at the very beginning of the the quarantine, no one ever just said, "Hey, just put a pause for the the next year." It was always like right. strung out like six weeks at a time. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, we were kind of just taking everything. Uh, just a couple of days at a time, just like everybody else, you know? Yeah. Well, when it, so obviously you said you, you guys recorded back in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least, I guess like this, this past year gave you time to, to do all the, the stuff with the record as far as taking the time to, to you know, the, 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 all the, the stuff that's quote unquote, like the boring stuff as far as mixing and mastering and, you know, getting all the, 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 the T's crossed, the I's dotted. And as you said, as you mentioned, you know, uh, reaching out to rounder and finding that there was mutual interest between y'all. Um, so as far as like that goes, like, do you think like this process has been, um, easier or, or do you, do you feel like in the past it's been a little bit easier just because it's been probably a little bit more, um, of a rapid pace to it as far as all the, the stuff post recording. Well, this actually, the, as far as the, the post production recording stuff goes, this is, this is kind of the first time that I've ever done a record like with, with a producer, like in a studio. Um, it's all, it's all been pretty, pretty DIY with friends and, and stuff like that in the past. And this, this, uh, the technical aspects of the record itself got got done pretty quickly once we were done tracking, you know, within a, within a few weeks. In the past, it's, you know, it's kind of been up to different schedules or, you know, whenever it, whenever it's done, it's done. But uh, this is the, this is the first time I've kind of done it this way. We've always sort of done it on our own with which, with, with most bands that I've, that I've uh, been involved with too. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting, but it's also, uh, once, once it was done was kind of when the, when the waiting game started, you know? Right. And this time you, you guys recorded over in at the sound emporium in, in Nashville, which you, 
I've seen like a quote that you, you described that I really, really loved. And that was like, that it has a lived in feeling. I feel like sometimes, yeah. you know, like those places like that can have, you know, a sterile kind of connotation um, or feeling, but that lived in feeling is, is, is a nice way to describe a place. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a super vibey room. I think it's been there. Uh, the sound emporium has been there since like the 1960s. It was a cowboy Jack Clements uh, studio. Um, super, super cool place. And we did it and we got to do it in studio a there, which is just a really beautiful, like kind of lots of, lots of wood paneling and, um, and old, old features that are still hanging around it's uh it feels it's got sort of a living room vibe you know it's 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 really nice i mean it's just it's it sounds great in there too yeah well how has it been you know this being like the first time working with some you know some accomplished producers and 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 in a space like that as far as being able to explore that space um how, how long did you guys record in there and like um was that like did you guys try and keep it like in a like a week or like you know in a, in a more of a uh a smaller space of time or was it kind of strung out over the course of a a while a day or two we did or... pretty yeah we did it pretty quick um sort of i kind of went in there went in there with a with a budget that i saved up from just kind of touring on the road with people and um, we, we, we had allocated three days. We did like a Monday through Wednesday and, uh, did all the tracking in those days. Um, so it was a, it was pretty quick. Unfortunately, we, I got to do it with, um, my, my regular band, uh, for the most part, we've played, we played a lot over the last few years together. So, um, it was pretty, it was pretty easy to kind of get in there and, and work it out. And, um, Justin Francis, the, uh, engineer and, um, part producer of the record is he's, he's an old buddy that I've known for a really long time. And he's done like kind of mixing and mastering stuff for projects that I've done in the past. And, um, the, uh, the other, the other guy kind of in the producing role is, uh, Adam Meister Hans, who I know from way back in West Virginia, we've played in bands together for many years. And he's kind of a, he's kind of a guy down here now, um, and a really kind of in-demand guitar player. He's really great. So we, we kind of did one day of uh, sort of like pre, pre-production, like at, out at my house, which at the time was kind of out northwest of town in a little area called Bell's Bend. And then we just hit the ground running um, uh, the next week in the, in the studio. Yeah, I always love when, when a record kind of comes that that quickly because like you know there's no wrong way to make a record there's no right way to make a record but uh i always love when it's it's in that just trying to capture that that time period where it's not going to try and be like where you're trying to make it absolutely you know pristine shiny this again like this record right here you feel like those songs are have been around forever and yet like the the recording it feels very much that same way as far as like having where where it's comfortable within itself where it's not trying to be you know glossy or anything 
Yeah, I, I that that was that was pretty intentional. I think we kind of all agreed that you know what we'd been sort of working towards um, over the past couple of years with the band was we kind of wanted to to be pretty um, truthful with our our documentation of that. And, you know, we we didn't tweak we didn't tweak much um, before we went in there and and did it. We we were we were mostly ready to kind of do it the way we had been. And, um, you know, after, after that, we, we did have, uh, we did have a day of, um, we had a uh, Robbie Crowell come in and play some, some keys. He did some, uh, some, some Whirly and some B3. And, um, we got to have, uh, 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 Russ Paul come in and do some pedal steel on a couple tracks, which we were very lucky to get both of them. And kind of, those are the only overdubs that we really did after the fact everything else was tracked live you know vocals and all right yeah like they, they really add it and provide like a, a lot of warmth that i feel on the yeah. record this episode is brought to you by wild gallery based in austin texas wild gallery is austin's only art gallery featuring native american art Head on over to wyld.gallery to see their vast array of traditional and contemporary art by Native American artists. Currently, they are a virtual gallery. You can still make appointments on their website if you're wanting to purchase a specific painting in person. But of course, the beauty of them being virtual is that you're able to see and buy from your home without trekking all the way to Austin. While Newsline definitely focuses on music, I always love speaking with songwriters about those other mediums that they explore. Often, that's through painting and drawing, the visual arts. And since I'm a West Texas native, I've long been drawn to the history, the stories, traditions, and heritage of Native Americans, especially those that were out here in the Western frontier. And that is what's so great about Wild Gallery. All of the artists featured are Native American, and they are telling stories about Native Americans. If you scroll through their collection, you'll see a wide range of styles as well. There's definitely some American West and some bold pop art. There's more of that traditional fine art like oil on canvas, as well as those that are influenced by Native American traditions. My parents, they always had paintings hanging around the house or their offices that were inspired by West Texas and Native Americans. And now I do as well, especially here in my office, which I'll let you guess where the latest print is from. As a journalist, I do feel like the most intimidating part is staring at a blank white page. And of course, you don't have to be a journalist to be staring at a white blank page. I know a lot of y'all do that. What I'm saying though is don't let your walls suffer from that same white blandness. Go visit Wild Gallery. I guarantee you, you will find something that moves you and that you'll want hanging in your home. Again, that's wild with a Y. Go visit wyld.gallery. Links will be in the show notes as well. Okay, let's get back to the episode. I'm, I'm always interested in how, take me, I guess, like through the process of, of how you guys, how you went from whatever the number of songs was between that, that you, that potentially could have been on this record to, to what ended up on the album. What was that process like as far as figuring out what those puzzle pieces were? Well, uh, there, there were only, we ended up only, only tracking 
12 and boiled it down to 11. Um, I think, uh, I think that was kind of, kind of what, just what we were ready with. There's a couple of songs on there that are actually, um, a little older that had kind of been reworked. Um, uh, and the, the rest of them are, are, are pretty new, but it's mostly just what we had been doing, uh, over the last couple of years on the road. And I hadn't really been writing at a super fast clip, um, the past few years, uh, just kind of, kind of let it get away from me for a little bit. And so it was kind of, well, this is what I got. So let's do these, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, that's, that's interesting. The, do you feel like you, you wrote a bunch younger when you were younger and that, that like, I guess like maybe you pick and choose a little bit more or, or what, what's that about as far as, you know, not writing at the same clip? Yeah. Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that my, my inner editor has gotten a little more, um, a little better at his job, but I don't know. Uh, I think, um, I think just sort of life, life shifting around and everything. I, I, I had, uh, I, I couldn't always find good times to write. And, um, I wasn't until, man, it wasn't until even the last like six months that I really got back to, to writing, to writing a lot again. But, uh, yeah, when I was younger, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of just write all the time and throw, throw anything at the wall, you know, and then, most most of it wouldn't stick and then you know looking back some of it probably shouldn't have but <laughs> it's a uh, I think you know there's that's where the the editor comes in you kind of hope that you were fine that over the years but I also appreciate when when people just you know do the do the Dylan thing and just put and just let's let's do it put it out and move on you know yeah it's that's I think like every kind of young songwriter is the that that period of time where it's like just like the piss and vinegar kind of stage the yeah the the old joke like you know there's a song in there somewhere kind of thing and you know a young songwriter will find a song in there (laughs) so like it it, it doesn't even like you know sometimes I think like the and I mean, that's perfectly fine. Some stuff's probably been, some great stuff's been written just by the practice, if you will, if you just writing to write, but. Yeah, I think, I think you get, I think you get better stuff the more you, the more you write, you know, um, it really isn't, it, it, I, I've started to believe that it really kind of is uh, quality or quantity over, over quality, you know, um, not, not in what you put out, but in what you end up, what you end up with. I think you end up with a lot more stuff that you end up enjoying or, uh, feeling good about, you know, just the more that you do it. So, you know, trying to, trying to get up every day and, and, you know, chip away at it is kind of the, the approach now, but it is, uh, you know, you never know what, you never really know what you're going to get necessarily. Right. The, I, I guess like, you know, just having the, um, you know, the, what, what am I looking for here? The, um, I'm blanking on what I'm trying to say. 
I know what you're saying <laughs> as far as like, you know, just doing it every day. Cause like sometimes like just kind of, you know, setting, allowing yourself to, to be in the moment where if something comes across, you know, um, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. A, a, I think the discipline of it, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a lot of that. And I think it's, um, I think you gotta be really, you gotta be willing to, to write bad stuff. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of necessary. You gotta, you gotta kind of write bad stuff before you get around to stuff that you, you can stand behind, you know? Yeah. I, I think like that happens a lot when, when you're kind of, you, you know, you, you mentioned like sometimes hopefully like your, your, your inner editor knows what's right, uh, what's best, what's better, all that kind of stuff. But you also have to have that allowance of like, allowing yourself to say something stupid, you know, because it may end up getting you to a point of like there being a, a little bit of a nugget in there somewhere that ends up being yeah. something great. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's just sifting. You gotta throw, you gotta, you gotta dip it in, throw it for everything in the sieve, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Panning for gold. Yeah, exactly. So like, I guess like one of my favorite things about songwriting and listening to music has always been just how artists like capture these little regions of America or the world really. But specifically with American music, American songwriters, what I love so much is the idioms or the expressions that people use um, that just kind of capture that County that they're from or that region. And there's something really, really cool about how even someone from, you know, you're from West Virginia, I'm from, you know, Texas, where that's, you know, states apart, different kind of landscapes, but how like even just an expression that I maybe not be familiar with will transcend the the, the space and you can, you're able to like, I guess, um, you know, perfectly capture it and other people are able to fully understand it. Um, what, what, what's it, is that, is that like an aspect of your songwriting that you, you feel like you, you've done a, a great job of, um, as far as like capturing, you know, life in the panhandle of West Virginia? Well, I don't know if, I don't know if it's ever really been, um, a very in, intentional thing. And, um, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I hope that I haven't been, you know, disin, disingenuous about that, you know, that, that can be sort of a, a, a complicated thing. You know, I don't, I don't know that I would really claim to represent any sort of, um, place in any sort of way, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like more so like the last, like I've been kind of traveling more, more often than not the last 10 years or so, um, maybe a little more. And, um, so I almost, I almost kind of feel sort of like I've, like I've been un, untethered to any sort of particular place, uh, to, to even be able to sort of write from. Um, but, you know, I, I, I hope that, uh, you know, 
if somebody uh, sort of read, reads into it and, and can sort of put themselves in that place that it's, it's, it, it comes across as genuine because, you know, just try to try to do that, you know? Right. I, well, I think like a lot of times it, it does taking, it does take that getting away from someplace to, to actually kind of, you know, examine it properly. You know, I guess like there's two routes you could really do is, you know, that, that songwriter who, who's never really left home, you know, and some, I guess maybe like in the, uh, you know, like the, the William Faulkner kind of way of like just never leaving the South yeah, and finding the, the, the root, the, the truth of, of what the South was of his specific little pocket and his, you know, his County, if you will. Um, but then also there's, there's something to the, the traveler who, you know, kind of realizes that, you know, life, um, is very, very special and specific because he's been, he's gotten away. Yeah. I think there's something, I think there's something to that. I think for, for, for me, I probably write more about home when I'm not there. And then I write probably more about traveling when I'm back home, you know, um, or you know, gain mm-hmm. inspiration from those experiences. I've been down in uh, I've been down in the, the Nashville area for like the past three or four years, and I feel like since I've been down here, I've been writing more about home than I ever have before. You know, especially this this last year, I haven't really gotten to go up there very much, so it's it's on my mind a lot. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the heart and soul of the Lubbock singer-songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas, Americana, country, and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the Blue Light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the Blue Light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time, any of those specials that may be happening. While there, go check out their merch page. They have a wide range of hats, koozies, hoodies, sweaters, beanies, jackets, and so much more. You can, of course, get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band take the stage at Blue Light. Just ask the bartender and they will get you all set. Speaking of which, that's another great way of seeing who's playing there. Just go to the Blue Light. It's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show.
Yeah, like that's it's. I don't know for for me. So like I'm from a small town in West Texas, and growing up there, like I always just kind of didn't want to be there, you know. And yeah, it took like getting out, and of course, like I, I've still I live in West Texas essentially still, but still like you 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 start realizing like all the little things that that make it specific and special and maybe not even special in a good way, just special and unique because it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, I think that kind of perspective can, can really lend itself um, well to, well to, to, to writing and, you know, the the way that you, the way that you can look at a place. Uh, I was, uh, kind of kind of growing up in the panhandle and and living in a small town i really i was really like was just kind of desperate to to get out you know i uh i think that's sort of a common common theme with a lot of kids you know it's uh it's it's not until you really uh get away from a place that you can sort of um look at it and appreciate it uh I guess more objectively. Yeah. There's a, I guess like the, the punk band Titus Andronicus. Um, yeah. They, one of my favorite records is the monitor that they released. Uh, I don't know, probably like 10 years ago now at least, but there's a song on there called, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It's like a, a more perfect union where kind of like the the whole thing is like trying to get out of New Jersey and like the parallels between that and um, of course like that whole record is kind of about the civil war and stuff. But basically the whole point of like that, that song is like how, you know, you're trying to work to get out of wherever you're from. And in his case in New Jersey, you go to this like place that you think is going to be special and different. And then you realize like you have the same problems and it's the same place. It's the same places you've ever been and you know i think there's something to that too yeah it's a it's a a tale as old as time that's a a, you're always kind of looking for you know something out there um you know especially when you're trying to write and stuff i feel like you're always kind of like well if i could just like have this new experience or this new experience you know i'd i might uh find something something more profound in it or something like that but you know then you get out there and you're like well let's see they got bars here too you know (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah but do you i don't know like I, i always have like this complicated um relationship as far as with west texas and that maybe maybe you you are feeling the same thing as far as um I guess like maybe like the romanticism, like sometimes like I think people romanticize or like uh, romanticize West Texas to the point where it's not even real. Um, do you feel like the same kind of thing where like maybe they, they gloss over like the, the actual like real problems or they kind of like sweep the, you know, the, the folks who live there that uh, are like, you know, um, working class under the rug. Do you, do you feel like the same kind of like complications with, with like, uh, you know, Appalachia? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's been maybe even more so, um, the last handful of years, you know, there's, uh, it, it can always sort of get a complicated perspective from, from other folks, you know, it's, and it's an easy thing to, to romanticize too, you know, there's, there's a lot of beauty out there and, um, you know, it, it feels, it, there's a certain romanticized independence, I think, um, that, uh, that is easy to, easy to feel when you think about those places. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I do too, um, all the time, but it's, it's a very complicated place. Um, and it's not as, a it's not as kind of, I don't know, just, uh, bi- binary as people, um, maybe often imagine it to be. And, uh, it's, a uh, any, any time you have a, you have an idea of what a place is like in your head, it's never quite as accurate as when you get there and talk, talk to people and, you know, start to understand it from a different perspective. But there, uh, there, there are a lot of different, different kinds of folks doing different kinds of things in West Virginia and, and Appalachia, uh, that I think especially in, in, uh, in, in media and everything kind of get, kind of get glossed over. And, um, it's, it's really, it's not, it's not just one, it's not just one thing. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, the way like I compare, what I always think about is like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Marfa, Texas or like the Prada Marfa. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been to Marfa. Yeah. Okay. So like the Prada Marfa is of course like this really great, and I say great in quotes, like, you know, art installation out in the middle of nowhere and uh, mm-hmm. a spot for Instagram uh, photos. And it's always like, just like, you know, I guess like fundamentally there's nothing wrong with it. And like, it doesn't really bother me that much, but it's always like, that's just like a, a photo that doesn't really capture like what that part of the, of a West Texas is actually like, you know? And yet I think like some people think that represents the quirkiness of West Texas or something or over of <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, <laughs> there's probably, there's probably a lot more people out here, um, digging ditches and post holes, like, you know, putting up fence than, you know, um, Instagram influencers and, and shit. And I, I'm assuming sure. that there's, ha- there's gotta be, you know, the same parallels for, you know, something that's going out on up there. Um, as far as, you know, just where I guess the average person in, in pop culture, um, just has like a little, you know, Polaroid shot of, of what West Virginia is or of, of Appalachia yet. There's like, you know, they're, they're missing all of the stuff on the, on the outside of that photo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very much so, and that's probably, uh, you know, like you're saying, it's probably the same, just about anywhere. We all get kind of a, a, a strange sort of tunnel view of of things through 
any any form of media or social media um but uh it's hard to it's 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 hard for me to really think about what what uh what folks who haven't spent a lot of time there might might think about um or imagine it to be uh in 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 west virginia um because when i you know when i think about it it's a pretty it's a pretty complicated place with you know a lot of a lot of beauty and a lot of you know, a lot of, a lot of hardship and, you know, a lot of great music and a lot of really great art and, and writers and just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely got its own, its own personality and its own, its own troubles. Right. You know, you mentioned the other songwriters and the other artists from that area. Obviously, like it feels like right now that there's a lot of really great songwriters who are being discovered from, you know, the Kentuckys, the West Virginias and just that entire region. Um, obviously there's been great songwriters who have been coming out of there forever, but it feels like this past decade, there's maybe, maybe we're like we're, we're seeing a, a highlight reel, if you will, or a golden era, uh, a second golden era or something like that. Do, do the, like, I guess like, here in Texas, maybe this is only a Texan thing because people from Texas are always going to be the, that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. So they're proud of uh, every songwriter from Texas, but is there that same kind of feeling as far as like, do are you know, are people um, just the average person? Are they, they aware of like, you know, all the, the great art, if you will, that that's coming out of the area. You know, I'm not, too sure about the the average person's um perception of what's what what's going on you know i've uh i've kind of i feel like i've kind of been living in a in a bubble for mm-hmm. for most of my life you know so i like i see all this stuff happening and uh, i it's definitely you know texas has a, a you know a long rich kind of established very proud history of its of its songwriters and its artists and its writers. And, uh, and, you know, there, there, there is definitely some of that in, uh, you know, in West Virginia too. Um, but a lot of the time it does kind of feel like we're sort of looking out for ourselves, um, and trying to look out for each other, uh, kind of, kind of within that, within that bubble. It's like, you know, it feels a lot more like we kind of are trying to, we're not trying to, but we are sort of flying under the radar. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how, you know, aware, you know, the average person or even what that means um, might be, might be aware of all the, of all the stuff going on. Cause you know, it's a, uh, there, there, there definitely doesn't seem to be as, as, um, established of an infrastructure there as there are in a lot of other places for, um, you know, uh, I guess kind of, kind of getting, getting attention in that way or, you know, presenting your, your creativity. Right. Um, there aren't really like a whole lot of really established avenues to do that. So we all, you know, we, 
growing up, we kind of just kind of assumed that was a given, and we just have always been kind of pretty pretty DIY about it. Right. Yeah. Like the, I think a lot of a lot of folks take the the infrastructure down here for granted because you know there's you know every town has a a place to play and you know it's all like the you know it took time for for there to be where even bars and venues down here in texas went hey you know we we should have like a an in-house engineer and sound guy and sound and all that kind of stuff and that takes time where you know that that's the 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 leg that texas right now has up on most places in 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 the country because you know you can go play music but it wasn't necessarily like that all the time and uh, that's one of those things I guess I always fear too is like that bubble that you mentioned like if if this is just the uh not necessarily fear but you know what I'm saying as far as you know am I out of touch <laughs> that kind of aspect because <laughs> I guess we're like all kind of living in a, in a in our own little you know um echo chamber in some respects yeah I, I... I mean that is kind of the kind of the way it is these days anyhow. But yeah, I mean there's there's definitely a lot of people who who um, are 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 working towards that kind of thing. There's a lot of there there are quite a few people around West Virginia who have you know opened open venues and you know tried to tried to get things going and do it right and and some of it you know has has really been working and i hope that you know i hope that most everybody has managed to kind of make it through this past year but it kind of you know sort of threw everything into um un- uncertainty and like i said i haven't really been 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 there very much recently but um i i there are a lot of people working to to kind of create that network and maintain it and you know connect people with each other who are, you know, trying to, trying to share their, their art or whatever they're working on. And, um, there's a lot of, there is a, there is a community, um, under the radar as it may be, uh, of, of people and and a lot of, and a lot of mutual respect there and everything. It's just, it's pretty, it's pretty small and kind of grassroots, if you will, you know. I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer up a quick Thomas Mooney's cocktail minute. As I've said probably a hundred times by now, by no means am I a seasoned mixologist or bartender. But these have been some of my Desert Door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some Desert Door, and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges never fails this one it's so simple it probably doesn't even count but again pretty foolproof do the exact same thing but get you a mexican coca-cola i guess you can go with a regular one but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the mexican import variety all right here's the change up you've been waiting for desert door sangria This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, 
apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep. And honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now you're going to want to stir that all up and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, add some desert door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in. Put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria. Chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich in balance, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. This, this record right here that you're releasing in, in the summer, uh, you've released a couple of singles already. By the time this episode is out, you'll have the, the third one out. And mm-hmm. I was wanting to know, like, as far as Shenandoah Shakedown goes, what, uh, take me back to, like, writing that song. Do you remember, like, what it was that, that kind of sparked that idea? Uh, yeah. It was, um... It was a few years ago. It was kind of after I had, um, I, so I, I used to live in, in uh, Shepherdstown, which is a pretty small town that runs along the Potomac River. It's really close to Harper's Ferry, which is where the confluence of the Shenandoah River and the Potomac are. And um, I, lived, uh, I lived there for about 10 years before I moved down here. And uh, I you know, was... Uh, it was basically my whole, my whole 20s. Um, and I, uh, I spent a lot of time um, on and around the river. It seemed like that was kind of the, the biggest, at least for me, that was kind of the biggest presence uh, there. I really was kind of, a, kind of a, river, uh, a river rat, for lack of a better term, you know? Um, but also, uh, I, I, uh, I was sort of trying to, I guess it sort of worked out in sort of vignette form mm-hmm. in the song, but I was sort of just trying to capture little fragments of, um, uh, uh sort of, a, the, I guess the time spent there, um, and also kind of frame it around the, the dissolution of a, of a, long-term relationship that ended up kind of, you know, leaving me, uh, kind of having to leave and, um, you know, or just, I guess I had, I guess I had wanted to leave for a while, um, in a way to sort of that, I got to try something else out kind of thing. And, um, when I, when I sort of, uh, didn't really have much of a reason to stay anymore. I finally kind of stumbled, stumbled down here and, um, you know, can 
it's the next place where I kind of knew the most couches to sleep on. Uh, and that song was just sort of, uh, I don't know. It was sort of a way to process some of those, some of those memories. Um, I guess in a, in a way and it ended up being sort of a, a pretty, uh, a pretty personal song that ended up making it to the record. So, <laughs> yeah, the, that's obviously like, I think our people love the, the personal intimate storytelling of, of an artist, but I guess like there's always that balance of, you know, um, or I, I maybe like maybe even fear of like, you know, sharing stuff that maybe that you feel is too personal or like too close to, uh, the truth you know, um, and, and I guess like mixing and balancing that with, you know, character sketches and vignettes of, you know, folks that you've run across. What have, have you ever like, has, how has that been as far as an artist? Have you ever felt like something's too, too personal to share with the outside world? Um, no, not, not really. I mean, kind of, I guess songwriting is sort of how I, how I process things. Um, so, I mean, certainly there have been songs that I've written where I, where I, I might, might feel like it's just a little too, you know, a little feel, feels a little too vulnerable or something to me. And, you know, maybe that goes into the pile, but, um, you know, I, uh, for, I think first and foremost, I kind of started song writing songs for that reason, and uh, just to sort of process things that would happen around me or, you know, things that I was feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it is it is still that way um, sometimes. But uh, sort of, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like songwriting or, or just expression is like the – the, the truest form of, of kind of like some kind of therapy at the end of the day, you know, yeah. even like obviously just uh, consuming art. I think like, like sometimes we, we think of like, you know, older generations, especially with, with men as like not um, or being like anti-therapy or something like that. But it's like, man, even these, uh, these hardened older guys, they were listening to music and they, like that, that was like a, a, a form of therapy. You know, and, and I, I think like there's something to that as far as, you know, you know, writing down what, what you're feeling, it, it makes things better. So, I mean, I, I get that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it works and it's free. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, going back to like the, the writing process, like what, you know, you mentioned this pile maybe it goes into that pile of, of stuff that's discarded or, or, you know, put away. Do you, do you ever go back and like go through songs that, you know, scraps, I guess, if you will, or stuff that you've just kind of put away and try to like polish them or try and do anything or even just steal from them, if you will. I know it's not stealing necessarily, but you know, plucking the good stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely do some, some cherry picking sometimes I've got like a pile of a, a pretty big pile of, um, sort of just junk <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of separate that from the, the pile of stuff that I feel is like, you know, maybe close to something. 
and um and sometimes I'll, I'll i'll pretty rarely go back and like try to try to pick something that i've essentially discarded and try to turn it into something but there i i tend to keep it just because there's often i'll i'll like just need i'll need to kind of look elsewhere for just like one missing piece of something and sometimes i'll find that in in something else um that never really never really made it out you know yeah um it's definitely uh it's it's worth it's worth keeping stuff just for that you know it's kind of a kind of a scrap pile just spare parts <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh you know i think like um most of the songwriters i know are are pack rats at the end of the day when it comes to <laughs> lost words and stuff like that yeah i mean you don't want if you got if you got a few good tires, you don't want to throw away the whole, the whole thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned how, um, the past six months or so have been a lot better creatively for you as far as writing new stuff. Um, has that come with obviously where for so long you've, you've been out on the road where this has just been a, a moment of, you know, being a little bit more, being idle, if you will, being in a space where you you're even just allowed to have some space to write some time. Is that, do you think like that's a, the biggest thing been the biggest thing? Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think finally kind of, you know, it's sort of been a sort of been a mixed blessing. I think finally getting to, to be stationary for so long, um, sort of, gave me the gave me the mental space to to really like pro maybe process a lot of stuff and uh you know i i i started trying to get into a better routine with it and you know getting up early and um just trying to kind of knock it out like first thing every day i'll try to sit down and and just work on some stuff and you know if it's if i'm just banging my head against the wall i'll usually just move on to some other stuff but for the most part like having the space to to kind of do that has been um pretty pretty fruitful and uh i never really i can never really do that on when i was when i was traveling a lot you know it's uh sometimes you know you, you can you can sort of come up with something in the in the middle of doing who knows what and then you're like oh i got to I gotta work this thing out, but for the most part, you know, I feel like the older I get, the more intentional I have to be about it. Um, and you know, the more time I have to kind of give give to it if it's going to give anything back to me, you know. Yeah, the I think that like I'm I'm just a world class procrastinator. And I feel like there's, there's plenty of stuff that I need to get done or need to work on and I'll just put it off and put it off. But usually it, I, I've had to just like, you just have to make yourself do it. And within those first five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, you, you kind of forget, like, that's always the hardest part is just getting started. And so like, oh yeah, you know, having the discipline, the routine enough to, to get 
past that that initial part of starting is what I feel is like the key for it all. Yeah, that's that is that is the hardest part for me too. Uh, and pro- procrastinating is is like the easiest and the hardest thing to do all at the same time. You know, you can't really shake the feeling that you should be doing it, but you know, just sitting down and doing it sounds like you know you're trying. You got trying to climb a mountain or something, um, but I guess like anytime you try to do that, it's just sort of one step at a time. It's it's hard to it's if you're if you're trying to think about sitting down and I'm gonna write I'm gonna write this whole thing right now. It's a lot harder to get started than just like I think I'm just gonna sit down and like sit here with a piece of paper and a pen for a little while and you know. Just one it's a very incremental process for me these days. Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to, you know, allowing yourself to to not necessarily think that the first thing that you're gonna write down is gonna be prolific and perfect. Cause like that's I always get that stuck in my head too, whenever I'm writing about another artist or writing something is, you know, allowing your allowing myself to to have like the mistakes in there or like, you know, even just make it as simple as possible and then going back and like, you know, given all the, the flowery aspects of it, of the writing. Yeah. I'm also like the, 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 the king of doing the, well, you know, it's uh 1210. I can't start like, um, right now. <laughs> let me, let me go ahead and do the, uh, at one o'clock, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or like, I can only do this if I have like a whole hour ahead of me and then you have like an excuse not to do it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm only going to sit down to write if I've got three hours in which to do it and I can just really get in there and, and, uh, you know, if you do this. And then, then you're like, well, I guess I didn't find three hours today. Oops. You know? Yeah. But if you find <laughs> if you find five or ten minutes, I, I think that's good too. Yeah. What's what's kind of like your if if, if all conditions are kind of like perfect? Do you have like a certain kind of like setup, cup of coffee, anything like that? What what's kind of like your go to? Oh yeah, like um, uh, more like three or four cups of coffee probably, um, <laughs> and. Uh, usually smoke some weed and just kind of sit there for a while and, um, you know, maybe I'll make, uh, make some breakfast if, if I'm really having a hard time, but if I can really get going on something, I can, I'll, I'll sit there for two hours, just get, get to work. But, um, you know, the, the, the foundational aspects of the, of the the coffee and the sitting there and you know getting sort of early morning stoned uh those things i find are it's it's helpful to have a routine you know sort of a, a i guess a ritual for lack of a better term yeah the for me it's always the cup of coffee it's always the just kind of you know getting a couple things set on my desk having like a notepad and then also having like my word doc up or whatever the case. Um, mm-hmm. Because I always feel, and this is, this goes back to the whole like never erasing kind of stuff or like keeping the scraps because 
if I erase it, I'll, I'll for some reason, like there'll be something for in me going, oh shit, I needed to, I can't remember exactly how that was supposed to be said or how I wanted to say it. So, you know, having the scrap paper there is always necessary, but for me at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally agree with that. Good, man. Yeah, well, it's it's been really, really great talking with you today. Um, I really love this new record, and hopefully you'll get down here to Texas sometime and uh, be able to catch a show. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, it's been great talking to you as well, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be getting down there sooner than later once we can kind of get wheels back on the road. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, that is it for 173. Thanks for listening. Be sure to mark those calendars for July 16th. That's when Depreciated, the new record by John R. Miller, is officially out. Stop on over and visit our presenting partners, Desert Door, Wild Gallery, and the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Hit up the New Slang merch store and be sure to hit that subscribe button as well. We have a quick turnaround on episode 174. It's with Texas songwriter Summer Dean and will be out by this Friday. 